From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up yesterday evening, the House passed H.R. 3233, the National Commission to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol, but only after heated debate with Democrats like Tim Ryan of Ohio attacking Republicans who opposed the measure. police with lead pipes across the head and we can't get bipartisanship what else has to happen in this country cops this is a slap in the face to every rank and file cop in the united states we'll get more on yesterday's vote and the prospects for the measure in the senate from breitbart sean moran and speaking of the senate i touched on this yesterday with senator steve danes of montana Democratic Senator Joe Manchin and Republican moderate Lisa Murkowski of Alaska have teamed up to call for a reauthorization of a highly amended version of the 1964 Voting Rights Act. Now, their effort comes in the wake of the Senate version of the so-called For the People Act, or better known as Stick It to the People Act, being deadlocked in the Senate Rules Committee. Is this a better approach or is it even more dangerous? We'll talk with former Ohio Secretary of State Ken Blackwell. And history may reveal it was the great cover-up. Efforts by the House Republicans to peel back Nancy Pelosi's mask mandate failed yesterday. What's next in the effort to expose this raw abuse of power by Democrats? Well, South Carolina Congressman Ralph Norman is here to tell us. State lawmakers, parents, and now two dozen state attorneys general are calling for a halt to the, quote, deeply flawed and controversial teaching of critical race theory in classrooms. Question is, where is the church in this critical and defining debate? The answer might surprise you. Professor Owen Strawn, author of Christianity and Wokeness, will be here later on Washington Watch. You won't want to miss that conversation. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything on your way home tonight, you can find it all there, archived at TonyPerkins.com. And if you're on the free speech platform of Gab, check me out at Tony underscore Perkins. And also, let me encourage you once again, download the Stand Firm app. Not only can you take Washington Watch with you wherever you go uh, through the app, but also, more importantly, you'll get alerts to let you know when you need to take action to protect your fundamental rights. You can go to the App Store and download it. It's the Stand Firm app. All right, yesterday, as I mentioned, the House voted by a vote of 252 to 175 to create a 9-11-style commission to investigate the events of January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. 35 Republicans voted with Democrats in support of the commission, despite the urging of House Republican Leader Kevin McCarthy and Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell, who said this yesterday. What is clear is that House Democrats have handled this proposal in partisan bad faith, going right back to the beginning. From initially offering a laughably partisan starting point to continuing to insist on various other features under the hood that are designed to centralize control over the commission's process and its conclusions in Democratic hands. The debate was pretty intense as Democrats like Tim Ryan of Ohio attacked Republicans who opposed the measure. Here's more of what Tim Ryan said. 
I want to thank the gentleman from New York and the other Republicans who are supporting this and thank them for their bipartisanship. To the other 90 percent of our friends on the other side of the aisle, holy cow, incoherence, no idea what you're talking about. Benghazi, you guys chased the former secretary of state all over the country, spent millions of dollars. We have people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. What else has to happen in this country? Cops. This is a slap in the face to every rank-and-file cop in the United States. If we're going to take on China, if we're going to rebuild the country, if we're going to reverse climate change, we need two political parties in this country that are both living in reality, and you ain't one of them. But Republicans like Dan Bishop of North Carolina didn't hold their tongue in responding. How can you have a bipartisan commission with an all-Democrat staff? How do you do that? And why is it that there is no willingness to look into all of the, the riots and the arson and the violence and the burning? If we're concerned about the danger that police officers were in on January 6th, and certainly they were, then why don't we have that concern for the dangers, the violence, the injuries, the deaths that have been faced by police officers across this country? Why is one form of political violence equivalent to 9-11 when a blind eye has been turned by this Congress, or at least by the majority in this Congress, to that same phenomenon across this country for a year? Where is the inquiry into that? With me now to uh, break down yesterday's vote and tell us what's up next is Breitbart News' policy reporter, Sean Moran. Sean, welcome to the program. Hello, and thanks for having me, Tony. All right, let me just start with this, Sean. 35 Republicans voted in support of this, despite the fact that you had the Republican leader in both the House and the Senate opposing it publicly yesterday. Uh, Any surprises in that list of 35? You know, it's particularly interesting because it's not very surprising. The people that we saw in this list of House Republicans, 35 House Republicans, that is, who voted for this legislation, uh, 10 of those 35 House Republicans were the ones that voted earlier this year to impeach the president for the second time over the January 6th, what you would call riots or protests. From there, 25 other House Republicans also voted for the January 6th legislation. However, many of those, including Republican John Katko, who's the House Government uh, Security, uh, Homeland Security Committee uh, ranking member, was negotiating with Benny Thompson, the uh, Homeland Security chairman, negotiated and worked to try and find a deal that could pass on a bipartisan term with a lot of Republicans supporting that. However, it appeared as this week, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy said that they could not support it because they believe that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Democrats were not negotiating good faith. From there, it came through a lot of Republicans wanted to go against the bill, but many Republicans still believe that there were some bipartisan elements in it, though 
from what we can see from that tally of House Republicans that voted against the bill, many House Republicans wanted to go against it. So, Sean, uh, Speaker Pelosi insists that the commission will be bipartisan. But yeah, what are the facts? What does it look like? You know, it's really quite interesting to see that the uh, commission would, at least in her terms, in what she believes would kind of limit the subpoena power for uh, a lot of people to talk. But there's still a lot of worry from House Republican Kevin McCarthy, as well as other Republicans that high profile Republicans such as McCarthy could be subpoenaed through this. What's also been very interesting to see is that um, yesterday in the House floor, uh, Congressman Chip Roy from Texas also talked about how this legislation to create a commission to investigate January 6th is not really necessary because there are a lot of committees, such as House Judiciary Committee, House Oversight and Reform Committee, or Nancy Pelosi could even commit create her own committee, a select committee, that is, to investigate these January 6th protests and riots without having to create her own commission through this legislation. So Democrats believe this is the proper way to investigate what happened on January 6th, while Republicans believe that this could just be another witch hunt, which they believe happened with the first two impeachment trials, as well as it could be a fishing expedition to find more information to attack Republicans ahead of the very pivotal 2022 congressional midterms. Well, that's not uh, that's not much of a reach, given uh, the history of what the Democrats have done in the uh, the last four years. I mean, we, we, this is called an insurrection. Um, certainly it was, uh, it was, it was a riot. I don't know about insurrection that usually, uh, comes with the connotations of overthrowing something. If these people were trying to overthrow the, throw the government, uh, they were pretty stupid, uh, in the way they went about it. Uh, but in the incident, four of the rioters died, including a woman who was shot and killed by police as she tried to break into the house chamber. A police officer collapsed and died after engaging with protesters and two t- officers took their lives, uh, days after. Now, one of the issues that Republicans repeatedly raise, you heard it from Dan Bishop, that why the monolithic look at just this incident, when in fact it was preceded by violence across the country in which a number of people were killed, in which uh, public property was torched, uh, private property was torched. Uh, what was the Democratic response to that? The Democrats believe that that's kind of singling out and creating a red herring for Republicans to distract from the issues of January 6th. And you can see that a lot of more establishment leading Republicans, such as Congresswoman Liz Cheney, the former House Republican conference chair, has been talking about this as well. But as you can see, a lot of House Republicans believe that this January 6th commission, in many ways, is really distracting from the issues that uh, they want to focus on, that is, talking about the issues that pertain to President Joe Biden's administration, the many crises that have kind of emerged over the last many months, you know, whether it's the energy crisis, whether it's the issues with Israel and Palestine that are currently happening right now, and many other issues, as well as the prospects of inflation. So when you talk about these issues that really start to emerge, there are really some interesting questions that are starting to say about what's going on right now. Well, let me ask you about that, Sean. I mean, could this, in fact, be a diversion by Democrats to take the focus off of the border in which people are, you know, they're pouring across the border? We're setting records in the number of people coming into the country illegally. Gas prices are going up. The Middle East is melting down. I mean, could it be that this is to try to turn the attention just like they did with the 
the Russia hoax and uh, the other impeachment that, to try to turn the attention of the American people away from really what's happening? It's really hard for myself to say, but a lot of Republican leaders, such as Kevin McCarthy, the new House Republican Conference chair, Elise Stefanik, have been saying that even during a uh, press conference today, as we reported at Breitbart.com, that a lot of these issues are really trying to distract from what's going on, like you said, with the border crisis, with the energy crisis, the problems with inflation and everything else going on. It even appears that there are not a lot of uh, proposals that Democrats are even trying to push on the border issue. And if you're going to come up with some sort of solution with these problems, it doesn't seem that the Democrats have many. So Democrats appear, and many Republicans have been saying this, including, I believe, Congressman Lance Gooden from Texas said after this January 6th commission vote that they're really just trying to focus on this singular issue to distract from all the other issues that Democrats have. And that particularly goes in the context that Democrats have a historically slim majority in the House. So it's going to be right. very hard to defend a lot of their issues going on right now. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Sean Moran, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Appreciate uh, you coming in today. Thanks so much, Tony, and have a good one. You too. Sean Moran with uh, Breitbart. You know, call me cynical, but I, I, for some reason I don't see the Democratic Party being concerned with law and order. Uh, it's not ever been a priority for them. I think this is a diversion away from the fact that they can't govern, that they have the White House, they have the Senate, they have the House, and the, the nation... Uh, and, and quite frankly, the world is unsettled right now because of their failure of leadership. But they want more. We're going to be talking about that next as they try to do a power grab with federalizing elections. Ken Blackwell joins me next. Don't go away. What is Roe versus Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org explainer. That's frc.org explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, 
family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Right, on Monday, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin and moderate Republican Lisa Murkowski sent a letter to the top four congressional leaders urging them to join their call for bipartisan reauthorization of an amended Voting Rights Act. Now, since enactment, the Voting Rights Act uh, has been reauthorized and amended about five times. It goes back to the mid-1960s. With the last amendment being done, uh, I believe, in 2006, and the act has had bipartisan support. I think, I think in the last uh, reauthorization, it was 98 to 0 in the, uh, the Senate. The two senators say that it can still be bipartisan, and it should be. But the question is, can it, based upon what they are proposing? Joining me now to talk about this, former mayor of Cincinnati and former Ohio Secretary of State, who oversaw the elections in the state of Ohio, Ken Blackwell, who now serves as FRC Senior Fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Governance. Uh, Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony. Good to be with you, sir. Okay. Uh, what are they proposing, and why is it problematic? Well, they've tried to shift away from the comprehensive overreach of S-1 and H.R. 1, which would radically not only change our election system, uh, but it would be a direct threat uh, to free speech uh, and other uh, freedoms that Americans have come to expect. They are now saying, look, let's let's shift over to uh, what they're calling the John Lewis bill, which is a is which is the Voting Rights Act, uh, but Tony, it's just as lethal, because what it would do, it would do as it was designed to do by two people, Eric Holder, former uh, Obama uh, general uh, attorney general, and uh, George Soros. It would in fact make uh, a superpower attorney general that would have to give preclearance to any changes in election processes and policies at the state level. Uh, and we know that they would put a ch- chokehold at making sure that we have so- solid verification policies and practices to make sure that voters are who they claim to be and that only American citizens are voting. 
uh, and they would loose the chain of custody, making it much easier uh, for uh, gross irregularities and voter fraud to exist. It is, so, it, so that it, our- is, uh, it is really uh, a, uh, a hat trick, a hat trick. Yeah, right. I mean, this is uh, they, they can't get through the front door because the uh, for the people act or stick it to the people act, as I prefer to call it. Uh, it was lo- deadlocked in the Senate Rules Committee. Uh, so now they're trying a backdoor approach through this reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act. But here's the key component that you just touched upon that people need to realize that until 2013, the Supreme Court case uh, states that had histories or problems with um, uh, maybe gerrymandering and and discrimination in voting, at least that they were charged with that, they had to get preclearance, as you made reference to, from the the, uh, Justice Department to to change districts. Uh, You know, Louisiana had to go through that back when I was in the legislature there. The Supreme Court threw that out in 2013. But what they're proposing is not only reinstituting that, but putting that on every state. So as you say, this makes the attorney general super powerful that any state, what we see in 47 states taking place right now, before they passed a single one of these laws correcting the irregularities of November, it would have to be pre-cleared through the, through the attorney general. I mean, would that happen under this present attorney general? Oh, Tony, this is right out of their playbook. Uh, You and I have talked about several things that they are attempting to do, you know, mass amnesty, packing the the Supreme Court, radically changing our election system. What they are really uh, bent on doing is creating a one-party national system uh, that is, in fact, centrally controlled. It would undermine totally uh, our federalism system, which puts emphasis on state and local control. And in our elections, it makes sure that the most basic level of oversight is at the local level, not some bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. Now, now, Ken, you oversaw the elections in the state of Ohio, uh, actually back in 2000 when uh, there was a, a very tense election uh, mm-hmm. there and then in 2004. The, the, the fact that 47 states are amending their laws to some degree or another as a result of the irregularities of the November election, I mean, 47 states, it's not four states, 47. That would suggest to me all of those states can't be wrong. There, there are issues out there that they're trying to address. This law, if it's passed, either the, 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 the For the People Act or this uh, quote-unquote uh, scaled-down version, would prohibit those states from doing that. It, it, it would. And that's why I think we have to label it you know, properly. This is the George Soros, Eric Holder, Barack Obama uh, election voting bill. Uh, it, in fact, concentrates power in Washington bureaucrats, uh, and it, in fact, uh, opens the door uh, to widespread irregularities by loosening the chain of custody of ballots, doing things like wiping out, making it totally illegal for any state as for voter ID, talking about 
same-day voter registration. So if, in fact, you can have same-day voter registration, but you can't ask voters to for an ID, then that just opens the door to widespread fraud. This is this is a sham. Uh, this must be pushed back against. This must be defeated. We cannot be gaslighted into believing uh, that what we want at the state and local level is anything other than making sure that we have a result in our elections that have voter confidence as being legitimate. All right, Ken Blackwell, we'll leave it at that and encourage people to weigh in with their senators and their congressmen. Thanks so much for taking time to join us this afternoon. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you, sir. All right, Ken Blackwell. All right, folks, uh, you need to go to work. Weigh in with your two senators and your congressmen. Tell them no to the George Soros, Eric Holder election bill. Let the states handle it as they should. Don't go away. We're coming back with Ralph Norman next. Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app. As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Check it out. And also be sure and download the Stand Firm app. That way you can take Washington Watch with you if you're beyond the reach of one of the nearly 800 stations that carry Washington Watch and the new platforms. You can still have it right there in your pocket. And you can get the legislative alerts that keep you involved and engaged. Our republic is made was made only for participants, not spectators. Download the app. Stand Firm app. All right. As we talked about earlier, yesterday, House Democrats blocked an effort by 
House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and the House GOP Doctors Caucus as they tried to peel back Nancy Pelosi's mask mandate in light of the CDC's newest guidance for people who have been vaccinated. As a result, GOP members of Congress who have been protesting the congressional mandate uh, will continue to be hit with fines if they refuse to be muzzled by Nancy Pelosi. Well, so far this week, four GOP members of Congress were fined $500 for failing to wear their Pelosi muzzle uh, on the House floor, and seven others have been issued warnings. Joining me now to talk about this uh, congressional muzzle mandate is uh, one of the four GOP House members who was fined, Congressman Ralph Norman. He represents the 5th District of South Carolina. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Well, glad to be back, Tony. Appreciate appreciate all that you do. Well, it certainly sounds like you're not wearing a mask right now. <laughs> no, and not going to wear a mask. Uh, you know, Tony, this, the, as you mentioned, the, the $500 fine first time, and then get this, it jumps to $2,500 per, per occurrence. In other words, we vote in, in the chambers probably two to three times a day, and it's $2,500 every time. And I will tell you, and, and of course, I've had a lot of people call and a lot of people uh, weigh in on it, but the sad part, uh, that's the tip of the iceberg. Uh, what Pelosi and her group are doing to this country is is unbelievable. The vote today, I don't know whether you followed it, to fund Israel during their war with Hamas uh, failed. The vote to, for America to fund um, to fund Israel was defeated, two hundred and thirteen to two hundred and twelve. Uh, I don't know in the history of this country where we have not sided with Israel in their plight to maintain their democracy. and uh, But this crowd knows no bounds. It really doesn't. But, no, the fines, um, we knew Kevin was going to put this up. Four of us, uh, three of us stood up at caucus and said, regardless, fails or not, we're not, we're not doing it. And, you know, we've heard for a year and a half, uh, follow the science. Well, CDC issued a, a statement that if you've been vaccinated, as most members of Congress have, as I have, uh, there's no need to wear a mask. And she continues to do this in spite of the fact that when she was at the salon back during the height of the COVID crisis, she didn't have a mask on and could have infected the, the salon owner. But it's the height of hypocrisy. But as I mentioned, this is the tip of the iceberg for this country. And sadly, um, we we got to fight and we got to win. Uh, Congressman Norman, I mean, I, I, the only way I can see this is this is a raw power grab because in the Senate, they're not wearing the mask in the Senate. Um, you know, your states across the country, they're dropping these mask mandates. They, they realize they don't need them. The C, as you said, the CDC guidance has changed. This is about Nancy Pelosi exerting raw power over, uh, Congress, in particular the Republicans. And I, th- I, I applaud you for pushing back. I think it's time for Americans to push back on this nonsense. Well, then get this. The hypocrisy in the chambers where we vote is where all the cameras are. And I think she wants to – she would keep this country shut down forever because it takes the spotlight off of her awful policies uh, like the vote against Israel, like the border crisis, uh, like the gasoline and inflation, like the bankruptcy that this spending this country into. 
there, it takes the the um, spotlight off that, but it's not going to work. And she can find. I think all of us feel like, oh, there's a lot of money. Um, she, the, the the lady has got to be stopped. She can't have power. And this is uh, in the hall. When, once you step out of the chambers where the cameras aren't, um, then you don't have to wear a mask anywhere in the hallways of the Capitol. You don't have to wear a mask. Now, how is critical is that? Let me ask you this, uh, Ralph. Uh, is this really a part of scaring the American public and keeping them fearful and afraid of this virus so they can be more easily controlled by the Democrats? Oh, yeah. It's a scare tactic. It's a, uh, a tactic. We're going to have another virus. I mean, this, this is just this isn't the last one uh, to, to come out of China. This is China is not our friend. You notice that no commissions to study where it came from. Uh, the ones that we're going to talk from China have now disappeared. And so, but it's a scare tactic, but she does this all the time. And it's, I mean, imagine $2,500 for every time I take a seat and don't wear a mask. And it's a scare tactic and it's a heavy handed tactic. Well, I, uh, I hope and pray our nation can survive, you know, another year and a half of this type of, uh, of leadership, but, it's got to change. Congressman Ralph Norman, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. And thank you for, uh, for standing up. I, I hope it inspires others to, uh, to stand against this, uh, this tyranny. That's the only way yeah. I can describe it. Ralph, have a great yeah. weekend. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Ralph Norman of uh, South Carolina. Appreciate him and uh, all he does on Capitol Hill. All right, coming up next... All across the country, parents, state legislatures, now even uh, attorneys general for states across the country pushing back on critical race theory. But what's the church doing? Owen Strong is here next. Don't go away. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history. And it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org slash Roe. The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, 
anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org slash Nigeria. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. All right, everybody, this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Um, this, this is, there is something organic happening in the, uh, the country. All across the country, parents are standing up. And I think a large part of this, we've talked about this many times, the, the silver lining to the coronavirus uh, in terms of the schools being closed and, and students being at home learning online and their parents actually observing what they were being taught is that many parents began to see the indoctrination that is taking place in government schools across the country, even in conservative red areas. You know, the, uh, you know, education, the education establishment knows no boundaries in terms of where they'll take their liberal indoctrination. And it's it was it's been under the noses of parents really since Barack Obama uh, in, in in his Department of Education as they began to push this stuff heavily. It's always been there, but I mean they they were beginning to teach activists. Well, this new wave of critical race theory, you know, Donald Trump, for all his problems that you know people complain about. I tell you what, look at what's happening in the country and in the world today, and I think there are a lot of people thinking. Man, I wish I would have voted for him um, because one of the issues he took on was this critical race theory, and he exposed it. And as a result, we've had parents across the country rising up against school boards. We, we talked about this, I think, last week, week before, uh, parents in Texas taking over school boards. Uh, we've had uh, lawmakers. We've got uh, about a dozen states that have legislation in. In other cases, like yesterday, we had the state superintendent for public instruction from Montana on. Uh, she's taking action. And then uh, I think just yesterday, it was uh, about, I think it was 2022, uh, state attorneys general writing a letter to the Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education, putting them on notice about this critical race theory. So we see parents, we see lawmakers, we see uh, the the top law enforcement officials and, and those involved in the states in terms of protecting the rights of the states taking action. But what's the church doing? Uh, 
I, I think you might be surprised. Joining me now to talk more about this is uh, Owen Strawn. He is the author of Christianity and Wokeness. Uh, Owen, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you for having me back. All right, let's talk about this. You're a research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary. Uh, you wrote this book. You, you've been on the poor talking about uh, critical race theory. Let me just jump into that question I posed there. What's, what is the church doing on this? Parents are pushing back. Lawmakers are pushing back. What's the church doing? Well, there's kind of a grassroots effort right now that really has the attention of many people in the evangelical world. Uh, in addition, some Southern Baptist uh, entity heads have signed a, a statement effectively a few months ago saying that they are against critical race theory. Uh, there has been movement for several years uh, in the church, in the Baptist movement and beyond, in terms of the 2018 Dallas Statement, as it's called, against social justice, that I believe over 13,000 people have signed, many of them pastors. Uh, there are books coming out. Vody Bauckham's book, Fault Lines, is an excellent book with Salem Books. My book is also with Salem Books. And so there are there are books coming out now. It's taken some time for that to happen, Tony. But frankly, uh, we're starting to catch up to the flood of books that have hit the market from woke authors. And then there is, as I said initially, grassroots support in a, in a tremendous form on social media that you'll find if you log on and track different evangelical voices. Basically, Tony, people understand that this ideology, I call it wokeness in aggregate, but you can call it critical race theory or social justice. It's not a tool of unity as it purports to be. It's actually a tool of division, and it's dividing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is time that people step up and push back, and they are. So, Owen, this has made its way into the church without label, without tag. People didn't know it was actually there. And so what's happening is now it's being exposed, and people are beginning, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's what that is. That is exactly right. We have known there was a monster around us lurking. Uh, we have seen the weird commercials as we've watched sports or as we've pinned things on Pinterest, if that's your bag, it's not mine. But And we've, we've wondered, what is this push for equity? What is this push for unity and racial justice that I'm getting? Because I'm technically, I think, for those things, many people think, as they're buffeted by these waves of culture. But I don't know exactly what is meant by these terms, by these initiatives. Now we know. Now the layperson is catching on, thankfully. And what this is meaning is that many people are seeing that actually, though this movement purports to build unity and justice in our culture and make things fair for people and unite people under the banner of justice, actually the opposite is occurring. And for example, in different forms, white people are being taught that they're white supremacists by nature, that they have white privilege, that accordingly they have white guilt just by virtue of their skin color. You had the mayor of Chicago, for example, saying just a few days ago that she wouldn't grant interviews to any journalists except those who are black and brown. So, so what you're seeing here and what, what ordinary citizens and certainly Christians are catching on to is that though this movement of wokeness or critical race theory or social justice says that it is promoting and actually producing unity, it's producing disunity. It's not producing justice. It's sadly producing injustice. 
You mentioned that there are these woke uh, authors. Uh, now, not all of them are running around with Coca-Cola on their shirt or Delta Airlines, so you don't know that they're necessarily uh, of the woke gender. Uh, but they're, they're there, and some of this teaching has made its way, as I mentioned, into the church. What are the telltale signs of, you know, again, comes without label, but it's making its way in. What do people need to be looking for? What, what are the cues that, wait a minute, something's not right here? That is such an important question because every Christian should be against racism. Every Christian recognizes in the American past, for example, real societal failings with regard to slavery and Jim Crow and segregation and so on. And so uh, what we need to recognize, though, is that wokeness, this movement, uh, social justice, this emphasis is advancing. For example, uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, when when white people, let's say, are called out by virtue of being guilty for their skin color, uh, when you have people talking about the need for equity in society. Tony, this can get uh, complex very quickly, but we should all be for equality. We should all be for what the conservative tradition calls equality of opportunity, something that you can definitely ground in Scripture, even before we talk about the conservative tradition. But what wokeness and the left is actually pushing for when they talk about equity, and this is in the church, this is in the church, this is from pulpits, uh, is, is equality of outcome. In other words, there should be no inequality in the world. And this is often given a kind of liberationist spin from pulpits, from evangelical voices in evangelical books, that if we would just buy into this, this system of critical race theory and wokeness and social justice, then we would eliminate inequality. Then the church would truly be a voice uh, to lift up the dispossessed and the disadvantaged. So, so we want to note that, yeah, we want people to flourish and thrive as Christians, and we believe there are good tools in Scripture and, and common-sense thinking uh, to, to advance that cause. But when you're hearing some of those terms, equity, social justice, uh, white privilege, white supremacy, you have been granted an audience with wokeness, whether you know it or not. Let's take a couple of those and break those down from a biblical perspective, let's take, uh, you know, first let's take, you, you started with the equality and the, what they mean by that is equality of outcomes. I mean, that defies from Genesis to revelation, what the scripture speaks to, because our choices, our decisions are what drive the outcomes in our lives. And if we somehow we're looking for society to minimize the consequences of the choices we make so that we all have the same outcome, that doesn't sound biblical to me. Yeah, what you have to understand is that behind wokeness, behind social justice, critical race theory is this very leftist and even Marxist vision of society and of the human individual uh, that that if we would just tweak a few things in society, everybody would have the same living conditions. That is a Marxist vision. Wokeness is a Marxist system. It is imperial once again. Marxism is here. It is not just something you read about in the history books. It's not just something in the political arena. It's in the church. You know, Tony, you look at a family. Look at families in Scripture. Do they turn out the same? Do the children of a father and mother turn out exactly the same? No, they never do. That's fascinating because... In technical terms, they have the same living conditions. They have the same environment. They have the same father and mother. If you could engineer humanity such that we would all turn out the same, certainly a unit as small as the family would be the laboratory that would prove that. But in reality, as any father or mother knows, I'm a father of three little kids. 
they don't turn out the same. They're not the same. They're not robots or widgets that you can just engineer on an assembly line. They're human beings. So there's no way to guarantee equality of, of outcome. The best we can do is, is set up a flourishing, thriving society as you stand for, FRC stands for, I vouch for, and, and then see what individual choices people make, as you said. Uh, Dr. Strawn, as you talk about Marxism, this, this is, it, it's Marxism, uh, th- th- what they're seeking here. But in Marxism, there's no room for a God who both gives direction to and provides redemption for the people. So important. People don't really know what Marxism is after all these years, after the horrific hundred million dead track record of Marxist governments, for example. They they don't know how bad Marxist thinking is. But yes, basically, Marx's tool that he used to foment revolution in multiple countries and, again, lead to the deaths of tens of millions of people, ultimately, was this idea that humanity is divided up into oppressors and oppressed peoples. And so, for example, in Marx's day, in the mid to late 19th century, if you had wealth, you were an oppressor automatically of people who didn't have means. That's being applied racially in our time. And that that tool from Marx is just as explosive and divisive as it ever was. Owen, let me ask you this one, because this is one that I hear a lot. It's on social media. Young people are, are getting hammered with this. And this is, I mean, it's in our schools. It's, it's everywhere, this, this idea of white privilege. And, and as you said, that's even popping up in our churches. How do we respond to that? We respond to the charge of white privilege by noting that we, we have a society where a majority of people uh, are classified as white. Now, I myself don't believe there is such a thing out there in the atmosphere called whiteness. It's a construct. I, I actually believe that it is a construct. It's not, it's not something hard and fast, though skin color, yes, has certain pigmentation, of course. But if you have a lot of people who have a certain skin pigmentation, you probably have something you could call a majority culture. And if you have a majority culture in any society, um, that's going to mean that there's something of a normative standard. There, there are norms in that society. And those norms may mean that th- the people who fit the majority culture uh, have uh, a certain buy-in at levels to society and flourishing and these sorts of things. And we can note that. But we don't, we don't want to go where wokeness goes and say that having white skin means that you have a lottery ticket that you can cash in and just automatically have this amazing life. That's simply not the case. If you look at, for example, suicide rates, white adult men uh, have the highest per capita suicide rate. So there are a lot of things to say about white privilege. I think it is in part just one way of talking about majority culture, which is neither necessarily evil nor necessarily virtuous. It's just kind of the way things tend to be in, in one society after another. This society happens to have a lot of so-called white people. But I would also say that uh, you need to be very careful about assuming that people who have a certain pigmentation level in their skin or lack thereof uh, uh, automatically uh, have it made. That is plainly not the case for many people. The most important thing to know about any person is not ultimately what their skin is, their skin color is, right. but to know who they are as an individual. 
We're not going to have time to unpack this one, but I, I see this, as you talked about, this is a construct of society, of, of a social construct. I actually think it's another attack on a Christian general ethic, because when you look at white America, predominantly, historically, there has been this Christian construct, mom and a dad, family, kids benefit from that. It is, it, it, while it might not be labeled that, it is following uh, kind of this biblical construct for life, which America has followed. And from that comes benefits. There's no denying that reality. Yeah. Suffice it to say that people, certainly many of them having so-called white skin color and many of them having all different shades of skin color in this country, have bought into what we call the Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, many of them being born-again believers, evangelical Christians in, in history in this country. And, and those yeah. people have tried to forge a society. They've done it imperfectly, but one that advances liberty and advances human flourishing and, and has a concept of the common good. And uh, so we don't want to correlate whiteness neatly with Christianity right. or something like that, but we want to be very careful about labeling whiteness as this evil poison that's affecting America. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a lot here to talk about, and, and we're going to have an opportunity, I think, in the future to talk more about it. Uh, Dr. Strawn, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. And, folks, thank you for joining us. And until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.